Hey, welcome everybody to TLC. It's good to have you guys. Good to have you guys here. What a very beautiful start to a great December. Very gloomy, but beautiful. Hey, uh, we just got back from our, our men's retreat. Uh, all the brothers who came out, about 30 of us was, was there uh, this, uh, this weekend. It was, really, it, was a, it was a great time just being out there praying for each other encouraging each other and just, you know, seeking God's heart together, you know. And, uh, you know, I was really encouraged by our, our, our brothers because I think, you know, maybe five, maybe six years ago, if I would have asked myself that, if I, if I prayed to the Lord, I was asking the question, like, you know, Lord, will, will, will the guys in our church, will the men of our church, you know, really stand up and, and, and lead one day? And it was very ambiguous back then, you know. Um, but I was, as I was praying about that this, uh, this weekend, and I was up in, we were out there at the beach, uh, I felt, you know, felt the peace of God just telling me that, yes, they will. Yes, they will. And I, uh, imperfectly as we are, imperfectly as all of us are, um, by the grace of God, we will, we will get there. And so really encouraged by our guys, really encouraged by our, our brothers, and uh, uh, expect great things to come. But they, need, they, they still need great accountability, you know. Uh, please remind them whenever you see them sitting around doing nothing, ask them a very simple question. Is what you're doing bringing flourishing? That's it. And see what, how, I want to see how they respond. So tell me how they respond after, after you say that, okay? Is what you're doing bringing flourishing? All right. Hey, guys, we are in our last message of the series that we started uh, about almost eight weeks back, right? A series that's called A Call to Holiness in a hostile world, a call to holiness in a hostile world. What I mean is it's, it's this picture where we live in a world that is constantly not getting better, right? Crisis after crisis, situations after situation, problems after problems, and no matter how many policies, no matter how many things we try to do as a people, as a nation, try to fix that, things doesn't seem like it's getting better. Actually, it seems like it's getting worse, and it's getting worse and worse all the time. And in the midst of all of that, we have God's people here who, what are we supposed to do? Do we compromise? Do we kind of get pushed back and forth in the midst of all of this? Or do we stand in to the situation, to this time, to this age, and stand out? And so the letter that Peter, one of the apostles, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the original disciples, had when he wrote this letter, he wrote to a church that was going through a very hostile time, political upheaval, cultural people, religious persecution, right? They were being burned alive. Uh, Christians were being burned alive. They were facing, like, um, uh, prison, death. And Peter writes them this letter and says, in the midst of all this, I want you to live holy. In the midst of all of this, I don't want you to back down. I don't want you to compromise. I don't want you to hide in a hole. I don't want you to pretend I want you to stand up and live holy lives. And so this whole entire series is just an encouragement, a reminder, and hopefully a conviction for your heart of what it means for you to live holy in a very difficult time, to live a life that stands out, to live a life that is affirmed by the Holy Spirit, a life that is is dedicated to the Lord, a life that is sacred, distinct, unique. We shared about a couple things. We talked about to, to... to live holy lives in a hostile world, what, what, one of the characteristics you have to have is you have to embody holiness by taking in God's word. See, if, you, if you're not reading God's word, if you're not allowing the word of God, the truth of God, his voice to be the, 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 the speaking a, a part of your heart to embody, to saturate you, if you're not letting God's word to be the one that's directing you and guiding you, right, then you're letting something else do that. So either God's word or whatever you see, any envy, um, doubt, malice, right, hypocrisy online, whatever, everything you see is either you're being fed by God's word or you're being fed by the things around you. You epitomize holiness, we talked about, through your submission, that our lives are not to stand, uh, is, is not to, to act in such a rebellious way, but we are to submit, even in the midst of a very chaotic world, even in the midst of emperors who were persecuting Christians, killing them, Peter writes to the Christians and says, submit to the authorities, right? We exemplify holiness in our marriages. 
that marriage is such a unique thing that is, that is so beautiful in the Christian realm, so different from the way that marriage is done all over the world back then, even today, but that we exemplify holiness in the way we treat our spouse, in the way we engage in our marriage, that it has to stand out, that the way we, the way we, we see the principles of it needs to make a difference in the way you engage with your husband, engage with your wife or your future husband and wife. We talked about Expressing holiness by living righteously. It's not just knowing the information in your head, but actually living it out to the world around you. Making a stand, not compromising. Okay? These, are, these are very difficult truth to hold, but these are the very things that keeps us or that, that, that helps us to stand out in the midst of a hostile world. We, we talked about encompassing holiness by choosing suffering. This is a hard one because we talked about that sometimes as a believer, you have to choose suffering. You have to be willing to suffer. You have to engage in suffering because, look, it's either suffering is what actually sanctifies you, strengthens you, and moves you. And in a world that's very hostile, sometimes you have to live a life that's going to actually have to suffer. And the strength behind that. You exhibit holiness with the eyes on eternity. Right? You live a life not just kind of saying this is it. But you live a life with the mindset like there is more. There is eternity here. We are just living 80 years of what? Of just this tiny thing versus the eternity of our lives? We're worried about this tiny part of our life when there is so much more afterwards? Living with eternity in mind. Some of us, were so caught up in our work, caught up in our um, day-to-day activities, caught up in the present moment that we don't realize that this is just a blip in the reality to come. Are you living for eternity? Are you investing in eternity? Or are you just merely trying to get through today? Right? I know so many people just keep chasing over and over, thinking that this is it, trying to find the best satisfaction that they have in this world. And you know what's crazy about that? So no matter how much you chase, you're still not satisfied. Isn't that true? And last week we heard from Pastor, uh, or from, from Kevin, talking about to embrace holiness through suffering again. Right? The suffering is a very very key theme in this letter of, of Peter. And I want to end this, um, this series talking about we are called to live in holiness with good leadership and humility. Okay? How do we live holy lives in a hostile world? There must be good leadership with humility. We are living in a place that a crisis is happening all the time. And as crisis increases, what must also increase? Leadership. Leadership must increase. As crisis increase, you must stand up and lead. We're all leaders in some form or way or another, right? As brothers, as men, you are called to lead no matter what. You are called, as we shared, to bring flourishing in every aspect and every sphere you go to. But you are also, everyone's a leader. You, You lead your family. You leaders in work, you lead in ministry, you lead in salt. You're called to leadership in any way. And whenever a crisis happens, the way we live holy lives, the way we live distinct life, is that leadership is lived out in this time period. Real leadership, true leadership that comes out. Holy leadership. You see, God allows for leaders to go through experiences so that eventually we learn the lessons as leaders, then we go back and we help those around us. Who wrote this letter? Peter, right? Peter. Peter was given the master class of leadership. He was taught under Jesus Christ himself. For three years, 12 students, one classroom, right? The world. And Jesus says, hey, guys, crisis is coming. And then Jesus faced the greatest crisis of his life, which is what? He was hung on the cross. And in that moment, in that moment, Peter could have done what? To stand up. And lead his people, lead his brothers to stand up and make something. But in that moment, what did Peter do? He utterly failed. It, was, it is one of the greatest uh, failures in leadership recorded. Taught by the master himself. In the moment of true crisis, true suffering, what did Peter do? He ran. And yet, this is the beautiful story. This this is why I love Peter. Because Jesus restored him at the end, right? Jesus showed up 
and he restores Peter's action. This gives us great hope. You know why? Because I'm pretty sure all of us are, in some sort of way, failed in our lives, right? In some, some way, we have failed. And yet, in the hands of the king, in the hands of our Savior, in the hands of our Lord, we can be restored. And here now Peter writes in his old age the wisdom that he has earned from all of this. He writes back to the church and he tells them, holiness requires leadership. It requires leadership. And if you fail, hey, I am the one who failed too. I understand the struggle. Come back in. Okay? And it's great hope for us. It's great hope for us because if you, if you feel like you're failing in your marriage, there's great hope for you. Okay? If you feel like you're failing in your ministry, there's great hope for you. If you feel like you're failing at work with your, with your coworkers and your colleagues and those you're watching over, there is great hope for you. If you feel like you're failing your children, there is great hope for you. If you feel like you're failing your salt, right, there is great hope for you. Because in the hands of God, God can take failures and turn it into something successful. He can take the failure and he can restore it into something beautiful. So church, what it requires is you and your relationship with Jesus. To live holy lives, it requires leadership. Are you going to lead in this time? Or are you going to passively sit by and watch others do it? Are you going to stand up and say something in this time? Are you going to passively sit by and let everyone else do it? Okay? Peter here is saying to the church, crisis is coming. He's telling the church, crisis is coming. And he's not telling the church, hey, I'm going to give you a magical formula to prepare for it and then use the formula and everything's going to get better. He's not telling them things are going to get better. Peter is not telling them at all that things are going to get better. He is telling them, don't be scared, but be prepared to navigate through it. That's what leadership does. Leadership doesn't necessarily in the church or in this situation say that I'm going to fix everything. It's going to be all beautiful. Things are going to be great. You have rosy uh, colored glasses. Everything's going to look awesome after all this. Never. Peter is saying, crisis is going to come. You need to be prepared to navigate those crises. And the preparation requires leadership. It requires you to be a leader in this time. A leader to your salt, a leader to your children, a leader to your spouse, a leader to your ministry teams, a leader to your work. It requires you to be a leader in this time. And so let's talk about that. Okay? Let's talk about that. How are we going to prepare to navigate through tough times? You know why I love our church? You know? We're not perfect church, and you guys all know that for sure, right? And your pastor's not a perfect pastor. You know that for sure as well, right? We face crisis after crisis. You know, even the last time when we had the, the COVID crisis, right? I mean, we, the crisis happened. It happened to everybody. They all ran, you know? And the leaders, you know, we, 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 we understood how much we failed in that area. We did our best, but we understood some of the failures we had. And yet what happened? They recouped. They remind themselves, this is what we're standing for. Let's go back and do it right. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you guys. Can I share with you guys a little bit of principles here that uh, Peter is sharing about navigating through crisis by having good leadership? Go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> this is to the elders and to the young men. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, and as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those, uh, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of your glory that will never fade away. The crown of glory that will never fade away. How do we navigate, how do we prepare to navigate through crisis that comes? Crisis in your family, crisis in your work, crisis among your salt, crisis among your ministry, crisis in the church. How do we navigate that? By being a leader. Here what Peter is talking about, he's, he's, he's addressing the elders of the church as he is a fellow elder. An elder is like a pastor, 
right? An overseer is, is someone who's in charge of the church. Uh, el- the word elder, the word overseer, and the word pastor, usually it's uh, all in the same uh, area. But here, he's talking about the function within the church, but these principles can be applied to any leadership capacity. And then an elder's job, a pastor's job, an overseer's job is to do two things. You know what it is? It is to shepherd the flock. It is to care for the family of God. But it's also to build the house, to steward what God has given them, to faithfully carry out the building of that house. Any leadership is like that, is it not? Any leadership capacity, you, are, you have been given the stewardship of something, you have this much, your job is to maximize the potential with this much that's been given to you, do more of it, and to care for those under your charge, to care for the relationship that's been given to you. All leadership function has those principles. So here it is. It begins very simply. A leader, according to Paul, I mean, Peter, is saying, hey, you got you to gotta be overseer. You got to shepherd your flock. You got to be a people. If you're going to be a leader, you got to be a people who cares, who builds the relationship, the family that you're watching over. Right? If you're, if you're a boss, if you're someone who, 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 who runs a company or someone who has people under you, a true leader does what? Maximizes those potentials that they have? Be good stewards of the time, the energy, the money that's there, but also cares for those people. Okay? It cares for those people. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're um, leading your family, same way. Your father, a mother, if you're leading your family, you have a certain amount to steward. You're supposed to maximize it faithfully, not to overexpend it, not to be gluttonous about it, not to use more than what you have, not to, not to um, live lavishly, but you have to be stewards to maximize it and then do what? To care for those in your household. Are you caring for your husband, your wife? Are you caring for your children, your ministry teams? Right? It's to maximize what's been given to you. I know you guys all did your budget already, so I know you guys all asked for a lot of money. Right? We'll let you know whether you got it or not. Right? But the key is, because our job is to, maxim- to, to make sure that you guys are faithfully doing it too. But it's the same thing. You've been given this much to maximize it for your people, for your stewardship. Whether it's a little bit or a lot, you're, you're called to steward it faithfully, your energy, your time, the finances, but also to care relationally for the people. That's a very simple principle. Good leadership requires that. How do you navigate through a crisis and through times? Are you good stewards? Right? Are you good stewards and are you caring for the people? So how do I do that? What kind of characteristics of leaders is there? So verse 1 through 4, they laid out a couple of things. Okay, so if you want to know what those characteristics are, you want to write it down. I put the notes up there for you guys so you can just check it out or, you know, CR code it. And you guys can follow along with me. There's a few characteristics that, that Peter is addressing here that we can take in the principles. First, he says this. He says, the character of a leader is to exercise oversight. Okay, exercise oversight. You know what that means? Someone who is willing to take responsibility. Someone who is willing to take the lead. Someone who is not going to say, well, it's not my fault. They did it. When something happens, you get in trouble. A leader, a bad leader does what? Throw his team under the bus. Right? A bad leader defaults on their responsibility. A bad leader blames everybody else. Exercise oversight means what? They're willing to take responsibility for their actions and even for the actions of the people in their team, the actions of the church, the actions of people in their household. The, character, the characteristics of a good leader that's going to stand out and live holy in this very hostile world is somebody who's willing to take responsibility. We live in a world, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you, a lot of the brothers I, I, I talk to, even not in, in church, but guys I talk to outside of church, guys that I meet in, in, in the place I work, right? Whenever it comes to responsibility, you know what they do? They always pass the buck. It's ridiculous how much they do it. They blame everyone else for the problems, but they never take responsibility for the issue. They never take responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's issues. It's somebody else's reason why this is happening. It's not mine. Character of a good leader is that you're willing to take responsibility. Even when you know it's not your fault. But you do it for the team because you care for them. In the family, it's the same thing. 
Who's going who's to take care of the family? Who's going to exercise oversight in the family? Who's going to lead it? In your salt. Are you going to keep blaming your salt? Maybe they are to blame, right? But part of it, too, is you're the leader. Take responsibility for their actions. Second thing, it says what? Serve willingly. Characteristics of a leader is to serve willingly, not because you feel pushed, but that you prayed through it and know that this is God's calling for you to serve in this place, right? You prayed through it. You're, 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 you, you recognize you've been saved by God. You've been gifted by God. You have this thing, and, and, and you're asking, Lord, where do you want me to serve? And he's placed this thing on your heart. And you know what you do sometimes? I see a lot of people, I don't want to do it. They come up with a billion excuses of why they don't want to serve that way. You're unwilling to serve. Unwilling to put your energy in there. You make excuses of why too many people, to, to, it's, it's, there's too many people to deal with. I don't want to deal with that. Too much politics. Right? Or there's, a, there's, there's not enough people. It doesn't seem like it's moving or exciting. Right? There's always a reason for why you cannot and will not serve. And you hear it all the while. God's places in your heart. Hey, are you going to serve? I have gifted you for this. I have prepared you for this. I have worked this in you. Are you not going to serve? And you have every reason to keep making excuses why you shouldn't. And if you know it and you're not doing it, that's when you're actually not living in obedience. Right? You know, sometimes in, in our VM side, you know, like, um, you know, during the Christmas thing, you know, uh, our secretary, Jean Wing, she was, she was saying, like, hey, um, we have all these books to give out to people who serve in, in the church. I was like, can you list them and for the EM? I'm like, are you sure? That's a lot, right? And she's like, yeah, 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 list them. And so, like, Jason started listing, and I started listing, and after a while, she's like, hey, that's like 70% people in your church. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, huh, I don't think we have enough books. I said, yeah. I said, I said, and then the funny question is, do they serve willingly? I'm like, sometimes, right? Sometimes they do, you know? But the, the, the key here is this. You know, like, I don't want to push you and force you to serve somewhere. I want you to ask God, hey, Lord, I'm a child. You've given me this gift. I have a body. I have a family that I can administer these gifts to. Where do you want me? To be actually willingly to say that and then willingly to do it. Versus just sitting around, right, and waiting to be served. Third thing, eagerly, eagerly. You do it, you do it eagerly. You know what that means? Self-motivated. You're someone who comes early. You stay late. You don't have to be asked, right? You take initiative. You see it, you take care of it. You're not someone who's just kind of like wait for someone else to do it. You don't just walk past it. You see a problem, you see an issue, you step into it, and you deal with it. You eagerly work on it. Right? How many times we, we, we just, we, we, everyone I know sees this piece of trash as they walk past. I know everyone sees it, but everyone's waiting for the next person to do it, right? It's like, hmm, oh, it's not my job, right? Not my responsibility, right? It's not written in my rule book, right? I have responsibilities. These are my lists, right? This one, not on my list. Can't do it. You can't pick up a piece of trash? What in the world, Right? You eagerly serve as a leader. Meaning what? When you step into that room, when you, when you are a part of this place, people should feel like, hey, you know what? I don't need to worry because I know if there is an issue, they're going to take care of it. They're going to they're gonna see it and actually deal with it. And not just wait to be told. Wait to be asked. Wait to be pleaded for. It's like, please. You eagerly step in and willingly serve. Okay? Fourth characteristic, an example to the flock, Peter says. Be an example to the flock. Be willing to do what you say. I know a lot of people who say a lot of things, but they're not willing to do anything. Right? I, I'm not going to lie to you, I can't stand those people. Okay? Like, on paper, you will probably pass the test of knowing what to do. You will pass it valiantly, right? But in life, you will probably fail. Because you talk a lot, but you do nothing about it. You, you are not an example to those around you. 
They hear it from you all the time. This is what needs to be done. This is what needs to be happened. But you don't want to step into it to help you with help with that. You pray for it, but you're not willing to be the answer to the prayers at all. You know that you could. But rather than being an example to the flock, you decided to do what? I'm just going to be critical of the flock. Right? These characteristics, it, means, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, guys, right? We all, we all have failures. We all have failures. Peter has failures. I have failures. Right? This church has failures. We all have failures. It doesn't mean perfection, but progress through imperfection. See, to be a leader, I need to get, you, I need to get out of your mind that somehow that you need to be there to be a leader. That, you, that, that there has to be some sort, of perf- some sort of beautiful, perfect spot there. The way it works is that there's a progression, church. There, there, you have imperfection, yes, but there's progress. You're going to make failures. Even, even when Peter was a, was, was a leader of the church, you know how much he failed? That he had to be rebuked by Paul again? Like Peter, Jesus Christ resurrected, did all that stuff, restored him, and still he messed up. And still he messed up. And that's okay, because after all these years, he is progressing in his imperfection. And he's growing. Setting an example doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're demonstrating the willingness to do what? To repent, to change, and to grow. Are you a leader? Can you be a leader? Church, would you step up to be a leader? Here's the fifth example, characteristic. Serving for eternal reward of the chief shepherd. Not going to lie to you. If you're going to step into leadership, right, Stepping into leadership means that if you think that for some reason that you're going to be acknowledged, there's going to be a lot of accolades and affirmation and encouragement coming your way, you're probably in the wrong place. Christian leadership, the one that makes a dent, the one that, is, that, that builds holiness in a very hostile world, it's a leadership whose mindset is what? I do not need the accolades. I mean, they can come, but I do not live for this. What I seek for is the crown of glory that comes when my Savior returns. I live for that. I serve for that. I give my all for that. So whether you, so if you're thinking that you're leading because you get a little bit of respect, you get a little love because of it, you're in the wrong place. If you're leading because you think there's affirmation there, you think that's like somehow, somehow um, uh, something beautiful about it, something like glamorous, right, or mystical or... Uh, Romantic, romantic about it, okay? If you lead with that mindset, I guarantee you, you will fail, right? You have no idea how many times I've heard people say, I want to be a pastor, right? It's so cool what you do. I said, what do you think I do? Like, you stand up there and you speak, right? And you're supposed to, like, inspire and move and, 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 and guide people. That's so awesome. I was like, there's nothing awesome about this, right? You don't see the background when people are yelling at you. Right? People are uh, not listening. You have to pray your heart out and, and still nothing's changed. You don't see the heartache behind all this stuff. There's nothing romantic about this journey. See, a pastor who works as any leader who serves for the sake of something, something earthly is never, it's not, it's not, it's not cut out to be a leader. We serve not for the joys of this moment, but we serve the crown of glory that's to come, okay? And most of the time, you probably won't get the accolades in this time anyways. And that's okay. That's okay. Another characteristic of a leader is this, not doing it for shameful gains. For shameful gains. You know what shameful gains mean? Taking more that's given. This is how much you get to have to use, but you want more. You want more out of it. You steal for it. You, you, you manipulate to get a little bit more. You kind of lie. You cut corners just to get a little bit more. Shameful gains. So rather than stewarding the, what's been given to you, rather than maximizing what, what's been given to you and being faithful to what's been given to you, you says, you know what, this is not enough. I want more. I need more. Right? And you begin to find ways to kind of cut through things, cut through the corners, and try to get more for yourself. Shameful, that's shameful gains. You work for the money and not the honor of the king. 
This works not just in church, guys. This works in business. This works in life. This works in marriage. This works in relationship. This works in your soul. You work for the money and not for the honor of the king. You do something for the gains of your own personal life and not for the honor of your king. Shameful gains means also that you take, you take what's given and not giving back to it. You know what that means? You take what's given. So basically, you feel entitled to all of this, but you're not willing to help out in any possible way. You know, this, this happens a lot, right? You feel entitled to it. It's like it's, it's, let me tell you something. Someone has to pay for it, right? I'm like, yeah, I deserve it. Well, yeah, somebody has to pay for it. Are you going to be helping with that? Or do you feel like, you know, your ministry, your team is the only team that deserves all of this, and yet you yourself would not give anything back from it? You know, we we dealt with that a couple times in our church, right? People who just keep asking and asking and asking, and yet we see, like, there's there's no giving back. And yet somehow you think that you deserve other people's giving and offering for your specific work, that you're entitled to it. That's shameful gains. Shameful gains. The last one here is this. Not overbearing or domineering. Sometimes leaders, we do what? We exert pressure to get things done. That's true. But we need to be careful that we are not valuing the results over the people. Because Christ died for people. So they are the priority. And those you shepherd and care for. He died for the people. Yes, results are nice. Yes, results make it look like you can have, you can have statistics and stats and telling you how well we've done and how far we've gotten and what our numbers look like. But what's more important, that if, if you're going to exert certain pressures, but you leave the people behind, broken, lost, uncared for, unwatched, unloved, that's not a good sign of leadership. That's unloving. A leader leads through love. Leads through service. You guys follow me? See, in crisis, what is required is leadership. When crisis, when suffering, when problems come your way in your family, when problem comes your way in your work, when problem comes your way in your ministry, your teams, your church, what is necessary, what is needed is leadership. Not for you to sit around and wait for something to magically happen or for them to work itself out, but that there is the sons and daughters of God willing to stand up by the grace of God, step into this and lead to steward, to care for God's people. It requires real leadership. Leadership is what changes the world around you. And Honestly, if you're not even a believer here, like, you may think like, okay, that's these principles work for you too. But I'm speaking specifically to a church who understands that when crisis come, and they will come, by the way, okay? I don't know what 2023 looks like, but I have been praying. I've consistently prayed, just give us enough, Lord, that we don't die, but enough so that we are challenged to grow more, right? When I say give us enough, give us enough crisis and suffering that we won't die and forsake you but give us enough so that we can continue to grow and challenge ourselves to grow. That we would strengthen our families with just the right now crisis. That we would strengthen our teams. That we would strengthen our loved ones. That we would strengthen our salt. That we would strengthen our church. Lord, help us to be leaders in this time. You can't be passive. Especially if you're a guy, you cannot be passive. Right? But this is, not, this is not just a principle to brothers. This is a principle across the board to all those who lead. You cannot be passive. How you live holy in a hostile world, you got to have good leadership. But not just any type of leadership. Leadership with humility. Look at verse 5 to 7. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
younger men, younger women. Find for yourself older mentors to learn from. I understand this. I, I think you understand this. Sometimes when you look at your parents, you're like, they're so outdated. They don't know how to do anything. They're so slow, right? They can't get anything done. And everything they move, it's, it's always like takes about a week for things to get happen when you can get it all done in 10 seconds on your phone in your fingertips, right? So why are you waiting so long? And, and, and you have this kind of like, ugh, this angst of like, you guys are not great. But what does Peter say? Find yourself older mentors to learn from. Because young men, young women, you have a lot of energy. You have a lot of energy, but most likely you don't have a lot of wisdom. Right? You have a lot of energy, but most likely you don't have a lot of wisdom. When things get bad, young people tend to get louder, not wiser. Right? They tend to get more critical, not wiser. Peter is saying, humble yourself to someone who can give wisdom and stop thinking that you're all that, that you know it all. There's something about older people that is very practical, very wise, though they may be a little slow and a little bit outdated. There's wisdom there if you will learn. I think I learned this personally myself, right? I remember when I first came to TLC, I was under, I'm under Pastor Lin, right, my boss, I'm not going to lie to you, okay? When we first met, me and him, we clashed all the time. You know why? Because he, 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 he used to give me an instruction, right? And my thing of instruction is if you say something, just say it, you know? But for him to say it, he takes like this, this really roundabout way. He tells me like 10 stories. And then eventually he says, yeah. I was like, wait, hold on. What am I supposed to do, <laughs> right? Like, am I supposed to like, exegete that from those 10 stories. Like, what do, I, what, what do you want me to do, right? He's like, don't you know now? I was like, no, I do not know what happened, right? He told me a story about your shoe, told me a story about your mom. I was like, what happened? How did it even connect, okay? But one thing I learned from Pastor Lin, and I, I was like, oh, Pastor Lin, you always try to push him, like, do this, do this, do this. But one thing I learned from Pastor Lin was really great, and I love him for it, right? He taught me the wisdom, right, of slowing down. Taught me the wisdom of slowing down. And in the ministry life, what is most important is to slow down with the Lord. And I was a young pastor coming in 10 years ago, and I just felt like results, 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 results. And he just told me, slow down. It took me 10 years to learn it, but I learned it. <laughs> Don't need a rush. Slow down. Lead with humility. You know, in, in, in our world, we fluctuate between pride and humility a lot, right? Pride is, um, pride is, 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 is something from Satan where you, where you boast yourself up. You, you put yourself on this pedestal, okay? And people think that pride, let me tell you something. People think that pride is that you're always boasting about yourself. Pride has the opposite agenda too. If you're always down on yourself, if you actually keep saying, I'm a humble person, I'm a humble person, Right? I'm being humble. I'm being humble. That actually is more prideful, right? Because you're drawing more attention to your humility. Humility, true hum the key to true humility is this. You look at Jesus Christ and you're saying, I just want to be like you. I just want to be like you, Jesus. And in my imperfect way, as I progress and the Holy Spirit guiding me by the grace of God, I'm going to walk to be like you and come what may. The characteristic of humility is born in you as you seek and as you look to your father. But if everything you say is, I'm being humble, I'm trying to be humble, you know, I don't want to be boastful. See, if you're really humble, not only are you able to serve, but you're able to be served, right? See, some people say, I, you, I don't want to be served. No, no, I want to be the one serving. No, no, no. Humble is that you can be served and served at the same time. That you don't think yourself so highly that someone can't serve you. Or you think of yourself so lowly that someone can't serve you. You get that? Like we, we, we have this mindset like, oh, humble means that I have to be the one doing all these things. But humility is saying, you know what, I, I realize that I can't be served. That I, I, I can't allow help. That I, I, I'm open for you to come alongside me and walk with me. To be served as well. 
we fluctuate between those things. And, and when we fluctuate between those things, here's the thing. Pride and humility, this is what causes destructions within leadership. So if you have a prideful leader and you have a prideful community, you know what begins to happen? You're always in the battle, right? You're always in the battle. A prideful leader and a prideful community, always in the battle. A prideful leader and a, a, a humble community, you know what's going to happen? Abuse. Abuse. If you have a prideful husband and a humble wife, abuse. You're going to take advantage of them. Or opposite way, prideful wife, humble husband, abuse, right? Same thing in terms of work. Pride and humility, there's going to be an abuse. Pride and pride, there's going to be a battle. You know what brings blessing? Humility and humility. When the leader is looking to Jesus, when the people of God is looking to Jesus, right, they're looking for the sake of the other. As a leader serves his people and the people serve his leaders, as we're going through this, this humility, and what does the Bible say? That he gives grace to the humble. The blessing comes out of that. When there's humility with humility, there's blessing that comes out. In service, in life, in relationship, with this humbleness with humbleness, blessing flourishes. In marriages, if one is humble, one is prideful, guess what's going to happen? One is going to be abused, one is going to just take it. If you guys are both prideful, you guys are going to fight each other to the death. Right? But humility and humility brings blessing. Because God says, I will give grace to the humble. So, when crisis happens, you got to have leadership. But not just have any type of leadership. It's leadership with humility. Leadership with humility here. And lastly, last point. You lead waiting for your chief shepherd. Verse 8 to 12. Okay? You lead with humility waiting for your chief shepherd. 8 to 12. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You will have struggle as a Christian. Actually, Satan is roaring, is a roaring lion going around trying to find a way to devour and break down God's people. And the way he does that, the way, the, way, the way Satan works in this world is not some direct action that he speaks through this age. He speaks to the culture. He speaks to, and he creates a cultural narrative. Every generation is one narrative that, that gets passed on. And that narrative is, is, is embodied by the people and it begins to poison and, tox, and, and, and bring toxicity to the, to the people within Breaking them down one by one. Do you guys know that even like 60, 70 years ago, the number one issue in America was what? Atheism, right? This, the Cold War and all that stuff. Atheism was, was, was considered like the devil, right? Nowadays, what is the number one issue in the, in the country? Fundamental religion. How dare you tell me what to say, to do? How dare you tell me what, am I, uh, uh, what, what is right and wrong? How dare you uh, talk about your God? I don't want your God. Each generation has their own voice. In each generation, Satan wisely, manipulatively crafts a narrative, a spirit of that age, to speak to that generation. The sons and daughters of God must do what? Right? They must be a people who pay attention and resist the temptation. You got to pay attention. This is how you get tossed back and forth. Not knowing where you go, and you get tossed back and forth by, by the culture all the time, right? Young kids, I mean, youth kids have this problem all the time. They get tossed back and forth by whatever is most popular, right? One day, one person is vilified, and then next day, when someone else kind of likes them, everyone else likes them again. It's like, how did that happen, right? One day, Kanye West was, you know, amazing rapper in America. Now he's really odd, right? Something's going on, you know? It's back and forth. Whatever the narrative says, Okay? One day, we all want to go to his church that he created, right, out of his music. And the next day, uh, I don't think I should be associated with his shoes at all, right? 
We're constantly being tossed back and forth over and over. The children of God has to pay attention, has to pay attention and resist temptation. Stand firm in your faith because, because why? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. See, the beautiful thing about Christianity is this, guys. If you think that Christian, if, if you're a non-believer out there, if, you, if you're someone who doesn't have faith or just kind of like exploring the church, welcome, welcome. I'm Tony, by the way, if you didn't know, okay, right? Christianity and heaven is not a consolation prize, right? In Christianity, heaven is not a consolation prize for a life that sucked. It's like, oh, your life sucked. Don't worry, that's heaven, okay? That's not Christianity. Christianity is called for the restoration of reality. Christianity is the restoration of what reality was meant to be. When God created all things from the beginning, it was good. It was us that brought disobedience and destruction, and that, that the initial disobedience has, has, um, has did this, uh, uh, this chain reaction over the years, creating what we have today. Bigger and bigger as the years goes on, more and more. And believers, the sons and daughters of God, what are we trying to do in this world? Not just to survive it. We're called to restore it. We're called to bring Eden to the ends of the earth. Everywhere we step, God's presence goes with us. In that place, we are called to bring flourishing, to bring God's presence there, each and every spot. And so as God's people spread out into their workplace, their marriages, their schools, their families, their friends. Each of these circles that you belong to, you are called to bring God's presence, God's restoration there, and the ultimate restoration will come and be revealed when Christ comes back. The complete restoration will happen then. But in this world, in this time, in this lifetime, you are called to have a purpose of bringing restoration to those circles in which you frequent all the time. You endure in the middle of crisis. You go through this with humility. You lead with humility because you know, because you know for a fact that Christ will return. You know that Christ was in the tomb for three days and yet there was still what? There was the resurrection. We believe that as the heart of our Christian faith. See, if Jesus Christ never came back from the dead, useless faith. Bunch of moral goods that's just on par with all the other religion. The only difference about Christianity, among everyone else, is that Christ came back from the dead. He showed us that death was not the way it was meant to be. He restored the way reality was meant to happen. We were not meant to die and grow sick. We were not meant to be hungry and in pain. We were not meant to live the way that we are living now, fighting over and over. We are called to bring restoration. And church, let me ask you guys something, right? Are you in your life, in the places that you frequent, in the places you are, are you bringing restoration there? Are you being a leader there? Are you leading with humility there? Do you have the courage and the tenacity to stand your ground and say, I follow after Jesus Christ, whose soul's mission is to bring restoration back to this world. I represent him, his cause, his name. I honor that beyond anything else. And come what may, do or die, I will go to the grave with that mentality. Now I'll do it to the best of my ability, by the grace of my God working in my life to bring restoration to my work field, to my family, to my extended family, to my church, to my friends. You have a mission. You have a purpose. Your purpose is not to retire young and collect seashells, right? Your purpose is not simply to meander through this life or to be stuck in a spot or chasing over and over or to be living meaninglessly. You fall under despair when you lose purpose. Can I tell you that? You chase after things that will not stand when you lose sight of eternity. You dance in circles. You fell victim to yourself over and over when you lose sight of what you were made to do. 
Church, crisis is going to come. Okay, one way or another, it's going to come. Whether it comes directly to the church, whether it comes to the world around us, in the midst of crisis, what are Christians called to do? Be leaders. Be leaders. Lead with humility in crisis. You're not going to, can I tell you, like Peter said, you're not going to fix the problem. You're going to be able to navigate the problem. You're navigating through this. As the crisis comes, you're navigating your people, your flock, those who you are in, in, in charge of through this situation. Every day, I have to teach my son how to navigate through the things he learned at school. Every day, he comes home with something new. I'm like, where did you learn that? And I have to navigate him. I don't say don't. I navigate him through that. So why do you think that way? Do you think that's a good thing? Is that important? Right? What do you think is most important? How do we do that out? How do we live that out? How do we try? You navigate through that. Because my goal is not for him to somehow uh, be dogmatic and legalistic and say, this is me. Right? To help him walk through that, where he is in the midst of walking through that, he is blessing his friends. He's a blessing to his teachers, I hope, right? He's a blessing to those around him in which you, who are watching over him. That becomes a blessing, not a curse. In the same way, if you're a ministry leader, your job is to help your team navigate through crisis, personal crisis, crisis around them. If you're a salt leader, same thing. Navigate. If you're a family, in your family, how are you helping your husband, your wife navigate through these crises? So my prayer, church, as we end this series, is this. Would you be holy? Would you, would you, would you, would you hunger for it? Would you, would you stop compromising and going through the motion of the Christian life? And, he, and can I tell you, you can be a, you can be a phony outward believer and you have no real inward change or are you willing to say I will be holy in a very dark world I will stand out in this messed up world I will do it unlike everyone else holiness is sacred it's distinct it's unique the way God has called us to live it, will, it has the power to transform everything else around you but you have to be willing to step into it, okay? Live holy lives in a hostile world, church, because crisis is coming. So be ready for it, okay? Let's pray.